0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode twelve of All Stake, no sizzle, and honest, no BS look at life, sports, and entertainment. I am your host, Devin McKenzie, once again for a brand spanking new episode. This is going to be a pretty serious topic this week. I'm kind of noticing that a lot of my episodes have been really, really serious lately, so I'm going to put out. This show, episode 12, and episode 13 is going to be a continuation of the conversation from this episode. Then after that, we're going to go ahead and light things up a little bit. We're getting to the end of the year, and I have planned a few episodes that basically going to be wrapping up the year 2016. Um, I'm going to have different guests come in and give their top five in different categories, such as album of the year, MMA moments of the year, wrestling moments of the year. Um, And then I'm going to ask people who is their man and woman of the year. So we're going to start that probably later next week. Like I said, we're we're getting towards the end of the year, people. 2016 has flown by. But we're going to go ahead and wrap it up and get ourselves prepared for 2017. Hopefully 2017 is a great year. We've got a lot of things to look forward to. And But before we, we look to the future, we got to look at the past year and, and break that down. Like I said before, this episode is going to be a two-part episode. And this these two episodes are going to be, like I said, they're going to be serious topics. And we're going to be talking about the Dakota Access Pipeline. I'll be the first to admit that I didn't know everything about what was going on. So I thought I'd bring in two people that were very knowledgeable about the situation First on this week's episode I have a gentleman by the name of Muhammad Sherry who has Been active in researching and, and raising awareness With what's going on in North Dakota And Early next week I'm going to release The second part of this episode Featuring my friend Francis. she is a person Who is an activist And she decided to get involved in This cause and she's organized a few protests, and we'll be organizing more protests and um, getting the word out on what's going on with the Dakota Access Pipeline. So, got that to look forward to. Like I said, these were two very good conversations. To pull the curtain back a little bit and give full disclosure, uh, me, Francis, and Muhammad got together on this past Sunday to record, and we originally discussed... The Dakota Access Pipeline. It was a very good conversation, but uh, we'll just say we had some uh, technical issues. So we had to re record pretty much everything. And I was able to, to get Muhammad and Francis on the phone, and basically both of them gave their points of view on the Dakota Access Pipeline. Maybe one day in the future, I will <laughs> release that original uh, conversation. Um we well, we'll see, we'll see. It might be like a lost tapes episode. But like I said, this on this episode we're going to be talking to Muhammad Sherry, very very knowledgeable young man, a uh, very very passionate young man about this cause and like I said it, it was a very good conversation. I enjoyed it. And this conversation we we started off talking about the Dakota Access pipeline. We then started talking about um the Native Americans in our country, how they've been disrespected over the years that then turned into uh, a bit of a racial conversation in general about the United States and um, how people have been discriminated against time and time again in our country. Muhammad himself is of Middle Eastern descent, so I'm pretty sure he has a very, very diverse background in racial discrimination in this country. So. Conversation. It was a very good conversation, very deep conversation. Like I said, he's very knowledgeable, so you got that to look forward to. It. Like I said, stay tuned. Very, very good conversation. Then later on next week, we're going to talk to Frances. And once again, she's a very knowledgeable young lady and very, very active in discussing human rights. So... We're going to go ahead and cut this intro short and go ahead and jump into this conversation with Muhammad, but before we do, let me just go ahead and let you all know that, that you want, need to follow Muhammad on Facebook. His name is Muhammad Sherry, that's M-O-H-A-M-M-A-D, Sherry, C-H-E-R-R-I. So go ahead and follow him on Facebook if you want to you know, follow along with him and find out more information about the Dakota Access Pipeline and Indigenous Peoples' Rights. He also has a Facebook group, which is called Indigenous, uh, excuse me, let's try that again, Indigenous Rights Alliance, Indigenous Rights Alliance. So if you typed it in your Facebook search uh, bar, you can find that page and follow them. And like I said, once again, you'll be able to follow along with what's going on with the Dakota Access Pipeline and And pipelines all across the country. Like I said, we'll jump into that in this conversation. And Muhammad wanted me to share this website with you also. It's called sacredstonecamp.org. It has a lot of great information about what's going on in North Dakota. And that website will come up again later on in our conversation as well. Also, make sure you follow Frances, who's going to be on next week's episode. Her name is Frances Diane on Facebook. And Francis, like I said, she's the person that basically put together a few protests here in the Metro Detroit area, which uh, Muhammad was a part of. But for those of you that, that know Francis that don't know Francis, she's also a very, very talented singer. And Francis has a Christmas concert coming up on December 16th and 17th. So if you want to hear some really good Christmas music and some talented singers, You can check that out. It'll be in Farmington, Michigan at the Acoustic Center, which is on 11 mile just east of Middlebelt. And Francis is a part of the Farmington Hills Community Choir, and they are presenting Do You Hear What I Hear? Ah, I like that. Christmas music, people. It's Christmas time. So why don't you go ahead and check them out December 16th and December 17th at 8 p.m. Like I said, it's at the Caustic Center on 11 Mile, just east of Middle Belt. Tickets are just $15 at the door. Uh, advanced ticket sales are now over. I announced that last week on last week's show that uh, you can buy tickets in advance. But ticket advanced ticket sales are now over, so you have to buy your tickets at the door. But like I said, $15, you can't beat that. You get to hear some good Christmas music. Get yourself in the holiday spirit. So... If you want to take the kids and the wife and the husband, and the auntie, uncle, cousins, <laughs> here's some good Christmas. Go check that out. All right, let's go ahead and get ready to jump into this conversation. And people, I just want to let you know real quick that there's going to be a couple changes to the show, some new ideas, some new segments. We'll talk about that probably on next on the next episode. I don't want to stretch this episode out too long. I will to go ahead and jump into this conversation with Muhammad Sherry. So, stay tuned for those announcements on the next episode. So, with all that being said, thank you for listening. I appreciate you. Follow me on Facebook at All Stake No Sizzle Podcast. Go ahead and type that up in on your Facebook search page. You can follow me on Instagram instagram and twitter at devin the 63 that's d-e-v-i-n-t-h-e 63 you can shoot me an email at asnspodcast at gmail.com and make sure you like follow share repost comment on the SoundCloud page so let's go ahead and jump to this conversation with muhammad sherry enjoy I got a special guest with me on this episode. Um, this is us recording for the second time. We had a little bit of an issue <laughs> the first time we recorded, but uh, I want to thank uh, Muhammad for joining me for a second time. And uh, <laughs> we, we both had to wake up pretty early to get this done, but uh, this is such an important cause. I, we both—I'm I'm assuming that we both felt it was—it was important enough to wake up a little early to go ahead and talk about it. So. Mohammed, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, th- once again, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this for the second time. Um, I had you on the show to talk about the situation that's going on in North Dakota and at Standing Rock. I, had, I told you before I'm I'm not the most uh, versed on the on the topic, and I know you've been active in in protest and uh, raising awareness for this situation. So who better to ask about the, these uh, events than someone that actually has been involved in it? So, if you don't mind, could you please give um, kind of a background on what, what's going on with the the pipeline going through Dakota? Well, uh, basically uh, the.
1: Indigenous people in North Dakota, what we know, the people that we know as the Sioux, um, who now live on the Standing Rock Reservation, among uh, a few other reservations, I uh, have been asking the federal government to stop a company from building a pipeline uh, through their sacred land, and uh, which will also go under the uh, Missouri River at a point called the Oahi uh, reservoir. And that's upstream from their only source of water, so they have been asking the federal government to deny uh, that drilling and that construction because uh, one, it goes through their sacred land, right. and uh, it is being built on unceded uh, native territory, and two, because it endangers their um, their environment and their livelihood and one can argue even their survival, uh, because uh, the history of pipelines is fraught with incidences of, uh, of leaks where thousands upon thousands of barrels of oil uh, leak. And uh, the location of the pipe uh, it going under the Missouri River is right upstream from their water source. So if that water gets contaminated, their water is going to be, uh, you know, uh, not drinkable. The water they're going to use for their farming is not going to be safe anymore. So their very own existence uh, becomes threatened. So basically, uh, they went out there uh, peacefully, prayerfully, uh, protecting the construction, sort of a nonviolent uh, resistance mm-hmm. to this. And uh, it's been going on for months, and the answer to that has been uh, state repression, media blackout, and uh, so far, they've achieved a, a small victory when the water protectors, as they call themselves, the natives, uh-huh. uh, allied with 200 other, more than 200 other native tribes alongside allies from all over the United States and the world, and the veterans of the United States military, all joint forces to to protect the the water, and they won. They, they actually were able to stop um, the, the, the the permit for construction and drilling under the uh, the river. So this is a small victory for them right now. But the company that's behind the drilling, Energy Transfer Partners, is insisting that it will continue to drill. And that no political decision is going to get in its way. So we're going to see what's going to happen. So they won a battle, but it seems like the war isn't
0: over yet. Wow. So, uh, yeah, that's that's I can I can understand why they uh, why they're they're fighting so hard for this now. Because I mean, if this is their only source of getting uh, drinkable water, then. <laughs> I mean, I, they pretty much have to. They have to win this this battle because w- without water, then how do you live? I mean, I, I know the Native Native Americans are people that basically live off of the land, and w- without that, without that water, they can't drink. They can't, you know, farm their crops. They can't raise. Um, they it can't, you know, get food. Basically, you know. Two things you need to survive in this world is food and water. Without that, then there's no survival. So why why is um, – what's the name of the company again? Energy Transfer Partners? Yeah.
1: Energy Transfer Partners uh, is the one responsible for what is called the Dakota Access uh, Pipeline, which has been referred to as DAPL. DAPL. Um, so, yeah, the one behind it. The CEO, uh, Kelsey Warren, uh, was interviewed, I mean, multiple times, asked about this issue, how come we did consult with the natives. Um, and he said, oh, if they had only spoken to us earlier, I'm sure we would have taken care of this. But, you know, now it's too late. We've built, like, 95% of it. So, you know, we're not going to stop. And oh, we see that the future president is going to allow us to continue with this. So we're just going to have to go with it. Just... Just too bad that the natives didn't mention it earlier. But then the uh, the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe released um, audio, um, you know, evidence of a meeting which uh, happened two years prior to this where they actually spoke with the company and in very like few minutes into the interview, the chairman of the tribe immediately states, We have already passed resolutions as our tribe stating our sacred lands. So they already consulted them about this. You know what I mean? It's all out there, the evidence. And the company is obviously lying. And and in the complaint, the legal complaint that the tribe has uh, filed in the uh, courts in Washington, uh, they state that when it came to approving or re-approving the construction of the pipeline, uh, the company and the Army Corps of Engineers Failed to follow the laws that said you have to consult with the tribes when it comes to going through religiously, historically, and culturally significant land. So, so it's kind of like um, if if you're going to build a pipeline and George Washington's house is right through your you know proposed pipeline route, right. you're going to have to you know. Consult with the historical societies, or consult the law to make sure that you know you're going through the right places. Right. But company in the process of preparing for the construction of this, they didn't consult the tribe at all. On the maps, they didn't even show the existence of the tribe, and the tribe on multiple occasions asked to have its own archaeologists to help in consulting the company and to be you know a part of this process but they were completely sidelined and tracked and you know kept kept invisible so that's that's the situation they were facing but through the work of all these activists they were able to um, bring their cause into the uh, into the mainstream almost force it into the mainstream and garner uh, enough attention and create enough of a irritation and fuss to be able to uh, to win a small victory so
0: far. So why why was it important for uh, Energy Transfer par- Partners or DAPL to go through the the natives' land? It was. There, is there no other alternative?
1: Yeah, there was, there was actually. Originally, uh, the pipeline was going to go through um, a city, uh, near a city called Bismarck. Of course, they have a larger population over there. Right. And uh, the population is predominantly uh, white, almost uh, 95% white at least. And uh, they, they chose not to um, pass the pipeline through there, uh, in part because it posed a risk
0: under of on that city, and um, so they rerouted it and they passed it next to the reservation. So well, let me stop you real quick. So basically, it, it was going to go through Bismarck, which it which is probably the largest city in in Dakota. And I think it was in North Dakota or South Dakota. It's in North Dakota. North Dakota. Yeah, I've, I've I used to be a truck driver and I've uh, actually driven to Bismarck before. And like you said, it's. It's a predominantly white town. It's not too many, uh, <laughs> not too many of us <laughs> running around in Bismarck, North Dakota. But the basically the city of Bismarck said they didn't want the pipeline coming through the city or through their land because they knew it was a threat to their water source. Yeah. So so, the company then decided let's go ahead and go through the Native Americans land, which would still be a threat to the water source.
1: Yes, but not, not the people of this market, just Native people. And uh, hmm. Our history of Native people shows us that, you know, well, one can argue that their lives don't matter as much. Right. Because, I'm, I mean, at least when it came to dealing with the United States government for 200 years, um, Time after time after time, we've reneged on all our promises and all our oaths towards them. And just uh, not let's not even talk about 2016. Let's just go back to the 50s. I mean, they did the, the government and in the name of building for America's infrastructure and and all that. They decided to build dams uh, along the Missouri, which flooded what little uh, reservation land they had left, forcing them into smaller and smaller and tighter places. And taking away uh, great arable land, which was very fertile and very valuable to them economically. So when we look at the Native Americans and we hear about all the rates of diabetes and uh, you know suicide and uh, and all of these problems, and they have the, the, sh- the shortest life expectancy in the Western Hemisphere outside of Haiti. And you know you wonder in the land of uh, the most powerful country in the world. How could this happen right under our noses, right? Right. Well, we, we keep doing this to them over and over and over again. So it's uh, no surprise. It's no surprise that they, they, they're they calling out for the world to help them. Right.
0: Well, how much uh, history do you know about uh, this particular tribe? The, the I believe the, the Sioux tribe. How much history do you have on this particular tribe?
1: Well, um, in general, I've been very, very interested in uh, indigenous people's history and the Sioux. The Sioux is, is is a unique tribe of what we we often refer to as the plain, plain Indians. You know, the, the Indians, that have feathers. They don't like to be called Indians. But, you know, it's, it's the, the mascots that we see, the headdress, the feathers, the eagle, the, even the terminology when we, we often use when it comes to speaking about Native Americans, we often are referring to that specific tribe, the Sioux. Okay. And when this situation emerged... I had to study even more in more detail all the things that happened um, to that particular tribe, and um, and I realized that the, the government had made a lot of treaties with Sioux, and you know when uh, when they, when they when the United States was formed and they wanted to push all the Native Americans from the eastern side of the United States mm-hmm. to the west, they. They guaranteed, the U.S. government said, okay, fine, this parcel of land right here is going to be yours from now on, and all the other tribes will have their own little parcels of land. And that was okay when they thought that this land was not valuable, you know, (laughs) kind of like flyover territory, right? Right. And so it was cool and it was fine when they thought it wasn't uh, that valuable but then they started discovering gold on the on the western side of the of the country and their settlers and miners and companies and railroads and, you know all these big companies had to go through this land and As a sovereign people, you don't want these people going through your lands or constructing and all these uh, men essentially just going through your land and uh, and not being held accountable. So they were irritated. So that caused a lot of racial tension between the Native Americans and the U.S. government and the settlers that were just going through. You know, without
0: permission and violating his Right, yeah, so, it's, it's bad enough that yeah. it's bad enough that you know you were here first. This was your land, and the government comes in and says, "Well, we're going to take this, but we're going to give you this over here." But now that you found something on the land that you said was ours, now you want to you know run through that and basically take that too. So yeah, I can I can understand why there you know were problems. From the well yeah. Yeah, why they were upset because you know, like you said, we've already moved once to accommodate you but now you wanna come through here again. Yeah, I can understand why they they be yeah. upset then. So in eighteen fifty one
1: they uh there was a famous uh, treaty that was drawn up where the U.S. government said, okay, this land is going to be yours, and, you know, um, if anything bad happens to your people uh, from our side, you know, the U.S. side, anybody under our authority we will take care of it. You know, we'll prosecute the person in court, uh, and we'll pay you uh, restitution through uh, a government-appointed official called the Indian Agent and the native americans reluctantly agreed they don't have they didn't have a choice at this point it was uh it was pretty much done at like gunpoint so the native americans agreed to this small parcel of land in exchange for you know peace and uh the u.s government was allowed to build forts all around them, military bases and push a railroad through wow and yeah and then they discovered gold in this territory you know, across, you know, on the other side of the continent, they discovered gold. So they asked the Natives let the people through, let them through to go to the other side. But then they found gold within the Native American's land, you Mm. know, in the Black Hills. And so slowly and surely, treaties were broken, Um, wars ensued. Fighting, violence, and more native land was chipped away. More treaties were formed. More treaties and promises were broken. And then finally, they, in eighteen, I believe eighteen eighty six uh, or eighteen eighty three, they made they renegotiated the Fort Laramie Treaty. And uh, and they said, okay, this is your little reservation, and this is what little land they have left. Wow. And yeah. And so, this territory from the Fort Laramie Treaty, that's where the Dakota Access Pipeline is going through, you know? So some people might say, oh, well, you know what, the era of the, quote, Indian is over, you know? I mean, does the treaty even hold any water anymore? Does it really matter anymore? Um, is it enforceable in the court of law? Right. Well, it seems like it actually is because there have been some court cases where the actual treaty uh, was used to win the case. So it is enforceable. It's legal. Wow.
0: Well, let me, let me, uh, let me back up for a second. Um, we were, we were talking about how gold was found on native land and, uh, the treaties were broken, and and they came in. Basically, settlers came in to their territory, and, and war started. Uh, I'm not too sure how, how familiar you are with the old Western films. Um, my, my father just recently retired, so for some reason, all he really wants to do is, uh, you know, sit sit on his chair and, and watch old Western films. So you know, I, I kind of get to see a little bit of it. But a, a lot of those films were you know not one you know use this term in a derogative, uh, derogatory term but they were cowboy indian films where you know basically the cowboys were you know coming into territory and end up having to fight with the natives and they were almost making the cowboys look like the heroes in it like the natives were you know savages and they were you know killing they killing you know white people and basically painting native americans in a bad light. I'm not. Have you ever heard of the film uh, "Birth of a Nation"? Not not the one that just came out this year, but the original one from like the early yeah, 1900s. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: I'm very familiar with that.
0: Yes. Yeah that that, that film. Now this is my opinion, but I, I think uh, history will show me right. That film was basically a propaganda film for the the KKK, and that that film helped mold. The mindset of a country because it won a lot of awards it was it is is, is honestly is one of the most successful films in history and it painted black people in a very bad light so when you put this image out there it almost becomes propaganda and when you think about the like i said the, the cowboy indian films it, it seems like that also serves the same way so it, it's almost like these films help shape the mindset of America so that it's almost accepted to disrespect and forget about the native Americans, just like films like birth of a nation helped shape the mind of America that it's okay to, uh, disrespect African-Americans and African-Americans are savages and they, all they want to do is rape and destroy and same with the native Americans. Would you, would you agree with that sentiment sentiment, or do you think I'm kind of off base on that?
1: No, no. I think
0: you're uh, right
1: on uh, in your assessment. And uh, the, the Native Americans, along with the African Americans, have always been vilified. I mean, uh, I was shocked that one
0: of the shows that I actually enjoyed watching, The Three Stooges,
1: uh-huh. uh, I was just randomly watched an episode one time and then they showed some Native Americans and they painted them as almost blithering idiots and that were complete dummies. And this was not even like a very, very old show. And that was a sort of contemporary. And they've always painted the Native American as, as this extreme rebel savage that would scalp and kill white people and rape a white woman. It's just... That's how they painted them. Even though that the U.S. Uh, government was the one that constantly instigated, you know, and, and uh, started started wars by not holding back. Uh, settlers who wanted to go and you know grab land or or go and get gold or uh, you know hurt and injure the Native Americans. Right. You know even the, the idea of scalping that wasn't just unique to Native Americans. It was done to the Native Americans. There were practices for the scalp of a man, a scalp of a woman, and a scalp of an Indian child. That's how brutal it was. But you know what, people don't tell us these things about that? Right. You know, Native Americans. Uh, are very, very spiritual people, they're very peaceful, peace-loving people, and even if they were uh, to go into war, they would uh, do it sort of in shame, you know, they would bow their heads down in front of the Great Spirit, because they knew they were doing something that wasn't exactly good. And even when they did go to war, they didn't often go to war to kill. You know, it was more of a, a display of bravery. You know, or you see how close you can get to your opponent and and, uh, and hit him with a with a stick or something like that. It wasn't like to 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 grab land or to kill. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, but we don't know this about the Native Americans. You know, nobody ever taught that to us. We just know of the savage that you know, kills the poor settler that's trying to live out his American dream,
0: you know. Right. And it, and the the thing about it is when this is the the narrative that's been you know put out to America for for years, um, you you start to believe it. If that's if that's the only image that you've seen of Native Americans throughout your life, you tend to believe that's how things are, and. You, I, I can't think of any, any major you know film or TV show or anything that really painted Native Americans in a, in a positive light, and makes me think that that's kind of by design.
1: Yeah, you had to you have to draw them in that sort of light. You have to depict them in that sort of light. It's the only way you can justify. The, what happened to them, you know? Right. I mean, everybody wants to be proud of their history. Um, but, I mean, it's just really, really difficult to me when you read. when I, mean, I read sometimes the text, maybe I'm uh, a little bit extra empathetic, but for me, yeah, I, uh, when I was reading about the atrocities that were happening, it, it would take me to the verge of tears, you know? Uh, some of the things that I, that I would read and um, how, how the Native American people were treated. And it's really interesting, it didn't matter what kind of Native you were, it didn't matter whether you chose the war path or the civilized path, the peaceful path. I mean, there was the Cherokee Nation, for instance, uh, where like around modern day uh, Georgia, and these Cherokee people had uh, taken their language and they had written it down and they, they had made a written language and uh, they had uh, dressed in the European-type style clothing. They had abandoned their traditional ways of living and adopted farming as the Europeans had told them to. They had predominantly adopted the uh, Christian belief as well. They were told to. They did all of these things that the Europeans asked them to, and yet the Georgians wanted their land and wanted gold and wanted them out. And they pushed them out. And they're the famous tribe that went through the Trail of Tears. You know what I mean? It didn't matter what you did, whether you were civilized and chose not to do war or do war. (laughs) You were always a barbarian and you were always unwelcome. In America, America's priorities were first for wealth and power. And, you know, they came up with millions of reasons to justify why. was impossible, kind of like how we see in our modern times now, there's the rise of the what they call nationalist
0: or alt-right movement right. that doesn't believe in coexistence, that they don't believe that diversity
1: strengthens you they believe that a, a small minority of uh, people of color uh, should be around but not so much because for the strength of our nation uh, we need a uh, not
0: heterogeneity. We need homogeneity. So. Right, and not 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 to get you know ultra political. I try to avoid politics on this show, but I mean you can't help it when you're talking about uh, something like this. You look at look at what's going on right now with, like you said, the alt right movement and our, our current president elect Donald Trump being in office and some of the people that he's picking for his cabinet. There. We're we're looking at a time where people like the Native Americans, African Americans, uh, Muslim, and Arabic Americans, and basically anyone that that isn't white, they're in a it's a time right now where we need to be very very vigilant of what's going on because if we're not paying attention to what's going on with the Native Americans and the Native Americans get wiped out, they're gonna start going after other groups. You might not think of it like that, but that's basically what it is. I mean, they've already talked about they want to, you know, get the Mexicans out of America. They want to do a registry for uh, Muslim and Arab Americans, and they're basically poisoning, trying to poison the waters of Native Americans, and we've all seen in the news what's going on with Black Lives Matter, so... I think we, we all need to be very very careful and pay very close attention to what's going on right now our history has shown that it's, it's been going on for pretty much since this country's been founded you know even before it was founded how we pushed Native Americans out to Dakota I mean and out west because we didn't want they didn't want them in the east and when they find other things that's on their land they want to push them out or you know, Disrespect and violate treaties that that they made with the natives, and like I said, like I said, need to be paying very close attention.
1: Absolutely, um, this rise of uh, of nationalism and um, sort of the uh, the rise of white uh, super, super, super supremacy groups uh, following our election or during our election this year is really really troubling especially to all the minorities in in this country because uh, our president-elect didn't spare any minority in this country Um, he might have used that as a political tool Politicians in this country have always done to play the races on each other, to have them hate each other, to to instill fear, to, to catapult themselves up the into power. You know, they've always been doing this. Right. Um, but to see it uh, done in the way that Donald Trump did it is is kind of uh, alarming. Um, How serious is he going to be in implementing these things? I don't know. Um, Maybe he used it just to use people's prejudices to get into power. But whatever he did, it wasn't good because it emboldened all these people. And all the minorities in America are cringing and are kind of fearful right now. They're in a state of fear. Uh, awaiting sort of a, a backlash or the rise of this, these, these, these racist voices. And they were expecting the president-elect to actually get up and make a stance. And the little stance that he made, to silence, these very extreme voices, was very weak. He just told them, stop it. Right. It's, not, it's, not really, uh, it's not really a very strong stance to take against them. So, I don't know how seriously they're going to take his uh, request for them to stop their hatred Uh, seriously. Um, But I believe uh, the American people, the young Americans, the enlightened Americans, and all the minorities, um, won't let hate predominate. It doesn't matter who the president is. It's not going to change. America has taken a course for the better. It has embraced all of its children more and more and more so over the years. So those marginal voices are gonna become even more marginal and it doesn't matter who the president's going to be, we're not gonna let him do that. We have to work together, just like the natives did in Standing Rock. The natives, their allies, their veterans, all of them worked together. They were able to stop what seemed impossible. So we have to do the same.
0: Um. Uh, we're going to uh, jump back into uh, more of the, the Standing Rock situation, but before I ask that, I'm going to ask you, the question I asked you the last time we recorded, and like I'm going to try to frame it the same way, so I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second. Um, let, let's say you're uh, a Mexican-American or you're African-American and you have issues that uh, like we were just saying That have, been, have come up Especially since the, the election And the, the platform of Donald Trump So like black people We're dealing with uh, police brutality And, and uh, discrimination And Mexicans are worried that They might get deported And uh, dealing with uh, racial issues themselves And you got LGBT community that you know, With Mike Pence He wants to basically uh, eradicate them as well As a person that that has As as part of these minority groups And me personally being African American Why should people from other Minorities that are Have their own issues to deal with Why should they care about what's going on In Standing Rock
1: That's a great question Um, Being active in my community uh, Which is uh, You know it's a mixed community That has probably the highest concentration of Arabs Dearborn Right. um and also a pretty significant concentration of muslims in america uh i have to answer this question also on a daily basis so um why should we uh, be involved with the, the movement Iraq? well uh, we just go and look at what the people that stand in rock are saying is that what they're doing is uh, not only fighting for the environment but also a civil rights issue and uh, as minority has almost an invisible minority I'm uh, fighting for their uh, rights and us helping them helping to lift them also lifts all the other minorities up and anybody else who is oppressed in this country because uh, like I said earlier um, politicians often use race to divide people in right. this country to have them fight amongst each other and instead of working together and um, by defending every group's rights, you also defending your own rights to exist. And uh, when you go out to help them, they in turn will reciprocate and come and help you as well. You know, because you're you're. You, one day, they're going to put a pipeline through your city. One day, you are going to be disgruntled with some kind of public policy that might be uh, linked to some corporate uh, you know, power or you know, some state that's corporate backed. And when you like to speak up and the authorized police come cracking down on you, I bet you're going to want somebody to come to your aid and to defend your civil rights as well so we're all in this country together we're all united one people And you need to get the the borders the invisible uh, barriers of of race and ethnicity and culture and all these other things we can't have them divide us anymore because the more divided we are the easier it is for them to conquer us because obviously time and time again I keep seeing that there's a collusion between the state government and the media that manufactures the consent. So we need to be more cognizant of this reality. We have to be more aware that we're all in this together. And if we stay divided, they're gonna crush us one after the other. I think the folks at Set New Rock showed us that if we stick together and we can do that, um, we, can, we can stop it.
0: Wow. We can't, we, can't, we can't fall asleep. That's it, just don't fall asleep. Wow, I, I agree with you. Um, wh- one thing that I, I, I've noticed about the, the situation at Standing Rock is that honestly, I didn't, I, I didn't really see any major news networks really covering the story. I didn't really find out about it until I started seeing it pop up on my Facebook top timeline. I kept seeing different. Uh, people, you know, putting out live feeds of what was going on out there, and uh, I think the only like real news outlet that was really covering it was the Young Turks, which who I happen to follow on Facebook. But as far as like you know, your major like CNN's, MSNBC's, your Fox News, I, I really didn't see too much coverage on this, this situation, and you know for the most part people when they get their news they, they go to the major news network so if it doesn't pop up on there they don't really know about it and then like I said when I saw it on Facebook anytime I see anything on Facebook I automatically have to question the source which I think people should do because people put a lot of fake information out there so how did how did you this basically come to your attention that what was going on out there and why why wasn't it really on the major news networks? Well, I think
1: a lot of minorities in America understand the role of the media in this country, that it hasn't really had that journalistic integrity that the the journalism should have, you know what I mean? They haven't been doing jobs for years. They've been just sitting and just taking handouts from the government. Oh, this is what you want me to say, then I'll say it. So, they've been doing that for years, and minorities have always known this. just uh, for example, like the way that you know Detroit is often covered in all the problems that you know, are, are, are spoken about in the media, it's never fair, it's never balanced, right. it's always either highlighting crime, or showing corruption, or, you know, just, just perpetuating uh, the false uh, narrative about, you know, African Americans and, you know, how they run and manage manage things uh, also, like, for instance uh, Barack Obama's presidency how it was always constantly painted as a failure, and, uh how the president was always uh, disrespected, unlike on other presidents, you know, and through our, right. our mainstream media, and and I think one of the things that uh, maybe came as a as a, um, as a positive of, uh, of Donald Trump's emergence uh, in, in election is that he highlighted how how crooked the media was and how linked, closely linked it was to the establishment. So, like, people have already known this, but he inadvertently uh, helped us show, sort of highlight that and see it. Right. And obviously here, the state of North Dakota, which uh, went from a not very uh, prominent oil producer to the number two uh, state in the United States that produces oil. Um,
0: really? yeah
1: yeah, it wasn't like nobody Texas was Texas though everybody knows
0: Texas and oil right? right Big oil, Texas the Bush dynasty we all know about these
1: things but North Dakota we never really thought of that you know until recently you know with the development of all these new ways to speed up the oil extraction all of a sudden the discovery of all these deposits in North Dakota catapulted it to become one of the most you know number two oil producing state now so so the state has, a, has an interest in in, uh, in maintaining this oil infrastructure, right? It benefits, it gets money. So the state wants the oil people to stay there. Right. They don't want to stay uh, as a nobody state. They want to be, uh, you know, more prominent. So the Native Americans have have a really, really tough struggle here. Um, and the media, the media doesn't really... Uh, come to their aid because one, they're invisible and two, because they've always been sort of uh, just uh, perpetuating what the state wants to say instead of analyzing and uh, criticizing and checking and doing what journalists are supposed to do. Not just uh, repeat what the government tells them to.
0: Well, let me let me jump in for a second. So now D- Dakota is the, the number two producing oil state in the country. And yeah oil is big business and i i can see where the government at this point would <laughs> would want to you know what this pipeline to come through because it's just more money for for their state and like like we were talking about before how like in, in the like i said the cowboy and indian movies how basically they painted the native americans as <clears throat> excuse me as the the bad guy in those films and once again in uh, in film and media, they painted them in a bad light. I, I can see why someone in Dakota would be like, well, I don't see what the problem is. We're going to be making money off of this. And I mean, who who really cares if this goes through Native land? Because we've historically never cared about the Native Americans. And it's it's almost like, it, it kind of sounds like you the Native Americans could be blamed for holding up the process of making more money for the state almost.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That is what the people are saying. The misinformed people do say that they do say, Oh yeah, these guys are a bunch of, uh, baby non-tax paying rioters that don't have any jobs you know mm-hmm. almost making them seem like they're squatting on land that they don't actually deserve you know what I mean like oh you don't pay taxes <laughs> um you shouldn't be here even though they were the original inhabitants you know they're in the face of uh, um Actually, the tribe uh, itself has said that we're not against development. We're not against energy uh, uh, in strengthening the nation. We're not against that. The question is, who has to pay for it? It's always been us. When you wanted to build dams, you built it here and you flooded our lands. When you needed gold for your country to strengthen it and territory, You took it from us, you took our gold, you destroyed our sacred black hills and, you know, uh, put the images of your presidents on it, you know, just to make things worse. Uh, Every time you needed something for your nation, for its strength to put America first or whatever, us Native people have had to pay the price. So it's just a repeat of history all over again. Now, instead of uh, yellow gold, it's what is referred to in modern modern times as black gold oil. And the interesting thing is this oil, 60% of it's going to be sold overseas. It's not even for America because we we don't need it here. Wow.
0: (laughs) That's the worst part.
1: It's just for money. It's not even for, like, America. You know, America will benefit a little bit, but the real beneficiaries are the the companies, those politicians who are
0: supporting the companies. So here's another question. Is there actually oil on the natives' land? Um,
1: As far as I know, I I don't think there's oil uh, specifically on their land parcels, um, but they're going to be, you know, pushing the pipe through uh
0: okay. Native Americans lands um and threatening it you know I'm not I don't know if specifically there's any specific oil there but in North okay. Dakota it's it's loaded I know that for sure okay because um well I, I well I won't, since we don't know for sure I won't jump into that well, we'll uh, <laughs> I don't want to speculate you know but um so like I was saying before the, the haven't really seen a lot of media coverage of, of the situation up until recently. And I, I'll be the first to admit, I don't watch a lot of news cause a lot of it is depressing stuff, but what, what information is the media putting out there and what is actually happening? Because a lot of times, like you were saying, the journalistic integrity isn't necessarily there. So, what the media, what the mainstream media's are putting out there, and what is actually happening, a lot of times don't uh, aren't in lockstep. So, what what is the media put? It, what are the major news networks putting out there about this situation, and what's actually happening in, in Standing Rock?
1: Yeah, um, the media has been uh, very sincere uh, at all in converting the um, the events that are happening in Standing Rock. They've only been there. Uh, for- Very few representatives of the media have actually been there, only on on specific occasions like um, uh, when the veterans arrived or uh, uh, just like uh, when they were really, really pressured to actually go there, but uh, they've always just uh, reiterated what the uh, sheriff's department uh, told them is happening, what the governor of North Dakota says. And uh, they've done a really good job of uh, um, passing the message along that the Native Americans are a band of violent uh, people, vigilantes, uh, hellbound on uh, hooliganism and and destroying things and rioting and burning stuff and then throwing Molotov cocktails and incendiary grenades and God knows what else, you know, they're just perpetuating that idea. When in reality, if you actually go and speak to the natives and look at their you know, statements and press releases, and speak to their chiefs and actually go to the camps, you'll notice that they are peaceful, prayerful, and pacifist. They believe in nonviolence. They, as a race, they've almost been obliterated. Do you think they're going to go ahead and start you know, a war, uh, throwing Molotov cocktails? Uh, that's obviously not going to work in their favor. But the media just wasn't there, complete blackout. So what happened was activists started showing the reality. Like on November 20th, a group of prayerful people were trying to remove a blockade of burned vehicles on a road that was cutting off uh, needed supplies and medical, the path for medical vehicles to go through. And on that very, very cold night, uh, freezing temperature night. Uh, when the media wasn't there, it was dark. Um, the terrorist department and the private security firms began to hose the people down in freezing temperature, causing hypothermia. Firing rubber bullets, which are basically steel core uh, bullets covered in two millimeters of rubber, uh, firing canisters of CS gas or tear gas on a bridge. With only a single outlet, and that's going backwards. So you're throwing all this might and power of militarized beliefs on peaceful people in freezing weather to cause so many attacks on their senses that um, they're going to trample each other, someone's going to get hurt, some people to die, and a lot of serious things happen that day. A young girl, uh, Sophia Walensky, um, you know, one of the um, when grenades hit her arm and almost entirely amputated it, there's a piece of her bone that it was just never found and she's still undergoing surgery till this day to try to save what's left of her arm mm-hmm. there was another girl uh, vanessa whose uh, eye was hurt uh, by one of those bullets and her retina detached. And because she was stuck on the bridge, and because of the blockade, emergency services weren't sent to her in time, and she is probably not going to ever recover eyesight in that eye. And those are just two examples. There was an elder who was hit so hard that he had to be, uh, he died, and he had to be resuscitated, and he was in a critical condition, and now he's recovered. So um, that violence, there was no media over there, and... When the media was asked about it, they said what the sheriff said. Oh, the sheriff was being attacked, and they were using the hoses not on people in the freezing weather, but um, to turn off fires that were started by rioters. So it shows you there's something very, very fishy going on. And if it wasn't for people on the ground showing videos. Uh, of what was happening and drones in the sky actually recording everything the cops had done in that situation, the truth will that we have never been out. And us, the American people, the public, would have thought that, you know, this is just a rioting band of, uh, of uh, extremists. And they, even though the, the, the evidence is there, the senators and the media, the people in North Dakota still think that this is some kind of extreme um, band of uh, of riders. They, they 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 don't want to believe what their eyes are, are, are showing
0: them. Wow, it, it almost sounds like uh, like, like I said, I have, I've brought up a couple of times what's going on in the black community with uh, police shootings. How um, we're we're asking for more transparency with the police departments. Um, different police departments have. It's, it's, Installed like body cameras on their officers, but a lot of times you'll see something happen with the body cameras when incidents happen, or they don't want to release the tape of what happened, and uh, people are you know recording what happens on their cell phones, but then you hear people saying, "Well, you know, he must have did something to provoke the police to come out there in the first place," and so it, once again, it's 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 sounds like. We're blaming the victims and basically trying to discredit the, the, the victims of what's going on and painting their own narrative to make the, the police and, in this case, the sheriff's department and uh, energy transfer partners look good in this situation.
1: Yeah, it is. It's, it's, uh, it's a time-tested technique. Uh, in quelling uh, peaceful protest and dissent. It seems that, uh, the more I follow these type of movements, the more I see this repeating itself time and time again. Um, just like you said with Black Lives Matter in painting that as almost the KKK, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. that there has been a series of injustice that's happened over, you know, uh, decades. And uh, nothing has been taken care of. And uh, these people have been completely ignored. Their plight has been ignored. The fact that the statistics, the studies, everything out there points to the fact that there's some flaw in our system. There's something there that is being perpetuated against African Americans in this system is not isn't treason treating treating, treating they, should, they should be treated as beings, as equals. Till this day, people don't wanna ignore that. And it's the same thing with Native American, with five hundred years of struggle against, you know, all the crap that they went through. Yeah. Two hundred years specifically with the United States. Uh, it's the same exact thing. Uh, There seems to be the power majority that doesn't want to, it feels very uncomfortable and doesn't want to admit that there's a problem. And they feel like, oh, by granting granting people rights or acknowledging them, they somehow are relinquishing some of their power. And they always seem to be viewing it as a power struggle. And when in reality, it's just a, a human it's a human struggle. You know, these people have rights. They are being killed. They are fearful, you know, to go into certain neighborhoods. Um, and I know for a fact that I'm fearful. I, as, as an Arab, a Muslim, there are some things that I, I, I worry about, you know, my own wife, um, my pregnant wife, and my sister. You know, I don't know what's going to happen to her when she gets out of the door. Right. If a deranged lunatic is going to attack her. And I know for a lot of African American people, um, when they're walking down the street, they look at people and people looking at them, and they know what that look means. Yeah, you know what I mean. You know what they—they're afraid. They might grab onto their purse a little more. Um, I know for a fact that this is real because sometimes you know, there uh, people have certain prejudices. They might share them with you. They'll be racist with you, you know. Even towards my own race, they'll be racist towards me in front of me. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, I definitely but then understand. When they're, when they're called out, they're like, "Oh no, 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 there's nothing."
0: Like right, they, 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 they like to use the term reverse racism. I'm like, in order for it to be a reverse racism, shouldn't there isn't there for race racism? Like I can't yeah. I can't reverse racism if the re- racism doesn't exist in the first place. Yeah. It's just to discredit,
1: just to discredit all these voices, all that challenge the dominant narrative. I mean, if you've painted African Americans as, you know, thugs and uh, criminals and uh, super predators and God knows what other terms they've coined for them, uh, you're gonna be, you're gonna be scared, you know, you're right. gonna be scared. And you're gonna look at this movement that's asking for its rights. Uh, with, uh, with some skepticism and fear, you know, and when fear predominates, you're not going to listen to the other person because you're scared. You know, oh, I, I understand but uh, that you're, you're suffering, but I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do. I'm not scared. I'm sitting at home behind my television screen, and you know, I'm not going to join the ranks. And the same thing happened with the Native Americans. The, the media tried to scare people from going there to help them. You know, by showing arrests and and, and violence and painting them as rioters, people will not join as allies and supporters to join ranks, to ever mobilize like they ever did before, to make any real change. Black Lives Matter, I mean, in certain I've covered the city of Dearborn, arguably the most racist city uh, in in American history. You know, the mayor over here uh, coined the term, keep Dearborn clean. (laughs) That meant... Yeah, that meant black people out. <laughs> I didn't know that our police cars even say you weren't clean." I didn't know that. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he was the most racist man ever, and he wasn't. He wasn't. Uh, it wasn't too long ago when uh, people were were blessing him. You know, and they oh, we love our mayor over here. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's um, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, I was on Facebook and. Um, Someone put up a post. It, uh, how, how can I explain this? Well, for those that don't live in Detroit, people have heard of 8 Mile, which basically 8 Mile is like the, the border between the Detroit and the northern suburbs. But 8 Mile isn't the only border. There, there's basically, Detroit is a predominantly black city. And then for the most part, when you start going out to the suburbs, that's where most of the white people stay. Just, you know, speaking plainly. So, on Facebook, someone, someone put a poll up saying, you know, name is a suburb that Detroiters don't want to go to. And I, I was expecting to hear other cities, but Dearborn Dearborn, and Livonia were the two cities that kept coming up the most. And it's funny you say that. That, uh... You know, Dearborn has this, lo- this slogan of, you know, keep Dearborn clean. It's basically to keep <laughs> black people out. But Dearborn also has, if I'm not mistaken, it's the largest population of uh, Muslim and Arab Americans in the country, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So I-, I would imagine that, you know, as a as a Muslim or Arab American, you would receive a lot of flack or racism from uh White citizens or the majority of the citizens of Dearborn?
1: Um, I think uh, in the beginning, that wasn't such a problem because the Arabs that were here were often fair-skinned, you know. Um, they passed what was called the paperback test. You know, many of them were Syrians or Chaldeans. And uh, they weren't uh, very dark, so they were able to get through the, the you know the filter, right? Right. And uh, and you know they were uh, many of them, and I'm discovering this more and more. Is that in the process of assimilating, they've adopted the racist views towards black people, you know, into other people in this country. So they just set up just a impulsive, you know, unfiltered. Oh, hey, this is the racism. We'll take that too. Right. You know what I mean? That really, really bothers me a lot. Because it goes against uh, our traditions as well. You know? um, and uh, now that more and more darker Arabs are coming into Dearborn, uh, you can start to feel the tensions building up. The, I mean, Dearborn is about half white, so the other half is the one that's non white. Right. Even in, in the non white category, there are the lighter ones and the darker ones, so the lighter ones consider themselves white as well. And in the census, Considered white, even though I would never call, claim to be a Caucasian. I'm dark
0: skinned. Right, it's so, just the technical thing. And say if they have in the black community too. You know, we have like the light skin versus dark skin uh, black thing. Like you said, the brown paper bag test that <laughs> that that goes on in our community too. But yeah, man, like Ye- Yemeni Yemeni Americans are much
1: darker than Lebanese Americans, who are more Mediterranean and lighter. Right. So. There's a lot of tension there because the, the whiter um, Lebanese uh, sometimes are uh, not... Uh, there's, a, there's a portion of them, I'm not going to say all of them, but sometimes uh, the Yemenis perceive the Lebanese as feeling that they're superior. Maybe because they're lighter. Uh, I don't know, there are no studies to show this, but this is... Uh, I spoke with some Yemenis and, and that's what they were expressing to me and I'm not going to deny uh, their views and their feelings on this issue, um, uh, Iraqi is the same thing, Iraqis are darker, uh, and, uh, whenever your skin color is darker, the more salient the future is, the more different you are, the more people are suspicious, and, uh, I never, I never really understood the code words, you know, I never knew what Dearborn, Keep Dearborn Clean meant, you know, I didn't know that it meant keep black people out, oh, yeah. and, and also when I used to speak to some of my neighbors over here and they talk about how the neighborhood was going, you know, wasn't as good or Dearborn wasn't as good as it used to be. Or when they're starting to be all nostalgic. I, I thought they were just being nostalgic. I thought maybe they missed the old times when things were done in a certain way. I didn't realize that was code word for, oh, there are black people coming into the neighborhood. Oh, there are more airouts coming in. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I didn't understand that. So racism is still... <laughs>
0: It's, still alive. It, it's alive and, and well, but you know, yeah. well if you if you ask certain people, we have a black president, so racism ended. No, it's it's still it's still strong, no. and, and honestly, yeah. I, I think it's getting stronger now. Absolutely, because like, like 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 we said before, like um, we had a black we have well for the last what month and a couple weeks of this year, we have a black president. And somehow that makes people feel like, oh, well, we're losing, we're losing the country, we're we're losing power, so we have to <laughs> elect a reality TV host. I mean, TV star to get our power back. You know what I mean? And like, 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 and Titus back into Standing Rock. You can say the same thing here. It's like, well, we want to. You know, get this pipeline through here and continue making money, and but we don't want it to go through Bismarck, which is a predominantly white neighborhood, because we know it's not safe. But uh, the Native Americans are holding it up, so yeah. there, there's that that power struggle again. So, um, I, I really didn't want to. I really didn't want to jump off on that tangent, but it, it, it's still a good conversation. It's good to you know know that you understand what's going on, and hopefully, other people are understanding that. These, yeah. these are these are serious issues that need to be uh, paid attention to. And if the media is not going to cover it, we need to get the word out there on what's going on.
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, just one last point. You know, you know how we were talking about the neighborhood going bad. Uh, it's a the black champ that came into the neighborhood. The neighborhood's is going down, right? That's what they said. Right. Well, now a black man got into the White House. That means the whole country is going
0: down. <laughs> and that's, that's yeah. basically
1: the simplest way to put it. And that's how I understood it. When I finally figured out what these guys were actually telling me, you know, and I thought it was something about, you know, oh, traditional ways. No, no, it's all about racism. That's what it boils down to. And in North Dakota, I still have yet to to, to have to hear an explanation about why it was moved. You know, a real explanation beyond, you know, uh, racism. That's what it is. They call it environmental racism, a term I've never heard of before until
0: this specific incident. Right So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm
1: also familiar with, um, there was a certain part of Detroit that was very wealthy, it was an African American wealthy district that uh, was very prosperous, I don't remember the name of it, but basically what the city planners did was they put a highway right through it and destroyed it. <laughs>
0: Man. You know what I mean? Man. I don't
1: know if you're familiar with the specific district, but you know I'll have to look look into it again. But it's just the same example of oh here's a community uh, that we're going to completely ignore and destroy with our infrastructure project.
0: Man, I we we can go on forever talking about because <laughs> actually I'm I'm in the process of working on a, a series of shows about. The city of Detroit. Um, I, want, I want to talk to a couple of people about the riots that happened in the late '60s and um, that that exact uh, project that you're talking about, where they built highways through predominantly predominantly black areas where um, there were black businesses and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, this country definitely has a history of, of doing uh, things like that. I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Black Wall Street.
1: Yeah, is that um, one that's similar to what we were talking
0: about? Yeah, Black Wall Street was, it it was basically a district, I I believe it was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was basically all black. uh, You know, everything with black banks, black businesses, uh, and it was making, it was a very, very wealthy area, and it was all ran by African Americans. Well, basically the government came through and destroyed it. I mean, it's no—it's no, it's no other way to put it. The government—the government came through and destroyed it. I mean, it, there's stories of that all the time. If you want to watch a uh, um, a movie about uh, such things, it's a movie called Rosewood. It was basically, once again, it was pretty much an all-black town, and something happened that um, that wasn't true. There was a acute accusation of a rape of a white woman by a black man, and then next thing you know, they destroyed the town. They destroyed that black town and started killing people. And it, it's it's just a this country has a, a very long history of destroying uh, anything that is good for minorities. I hate to put it I hate to put it that way, but it's it's just it's the truth.
1: There is a trend, and you know sometimes it's hard to avoid explaining it that way, right? Right. I mean, what other way? I'm looking for an explanation, and if there's somebody out there that can provide us with an explanation as to why certain people in this country, minorities in particular, have to pay the price for progress, right? And, you know, you can always see how they're also playing poor white people against also the minorities, you know, because poor white people don't have a good either, you know. Um, And somehow the poor white people, instead of aligning with minorities, as they did traditionally in the past, uh, nowadays they're being sort of... uh, Meant to fight each other instead of working together
0: oh yeah they, they, tell, they tell them the reason why you're, you're a poor white person is because this black person or this Mexican person or this Arab person is taking what's yours and it's like no that's not how it is if you look at it's one thing that, that Bernie Sanders was kept talking about was that that top uh, 1% how they are basically controlling everything like there's a few people with all the money and power that are controlling everything, things that affect, you know, the other 99% in this country. But instead of the 99% realizing what's really going on, we're, we're divided and we're fighting, we're fighting amongst our, our different, uh, cultures and we're fighting within our own cultures too. Exactly. So, it seems diabolical almost. (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is. and, (laughs) And like, you know, as a as a person, you, you don't want to sit here and think that, you know, oh, there's this big conspiracy theory that, you know, the government is against us and they're doing this by design. But when it keeps happening and you're seeing who's actually profiting from it, you can't help but think something's going on. You know what I mean? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it isn't conspiracy although there are plenty of conspiracies out there you know to muddle uh the truth but if if somebody does the studies actually does the interviews meets people uh like you are are doing right now uh you start to elucidate the truth you know you can find the truth it's there but they've muddied it up like uh i just this morning i, I found out that there was a, a pipeline that actually burst in north dakota two days ago on December, no, it burst on December 5th, the day that the water protection were celebrating in the same state of North Dakota, a pipeline burst, releasing so-and-so many gallons of crude oil, the same stuff that's going to be pushed through their lands. But did the media pick up on that? No, and no. was this false news? Well, no, because I, I went and I, I actually had to make sure that this report that was online was true. And I went to the health uh, department's website of North Dakota, and I found out that yes, there was a report, and there was a pipeline burst. And they keep telling us what the pipeline is safe. So it's not, a, it's not a conspiracy. It's, I go and find it. The conspiracy is is the fact that they are not reporting the stuff to us.
0: Wow. So, let me, let's, let's tie this back into Standing Rock. So, basically, what what it sounds like to me is that with these pipelines, it's not a matter of if they're going to burst or they're going to leak or something's going to happen to them. It's not if, it's when it happens.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's, those are the very words that the Native people are saying. It's not a matter of if, but when. Yes. Uh, and anyone who's looked into the history of pipelines I uh, just look at the databases, and I, I went and I took a look at the uh, database for the Department of, Transfer of Transport, go look for hazardous materials and look up oil spill incidences, right? And you will find thousands, thousands of incidences that happen for every single year. In in one case, I saw the trend was going up, probably because of our our you know boom in oil over the past couple of years. So those incidences are there. Um, The interesting thing is that the legal framework uh, surrounding uh, the reporting of incidences is kind of like shady. Because it, the company them, themselves have to report these incidents, so the company has to self-regulate. So I'm sure there's a lot of under-reporting, because the majority of these incidences are reported by people like you and me, who stumble upon oil in a farm, or oil in water, and all of a sudden they have to report it to the government. So the government isn't really, over, there is over. no oversight here, the company has to police itself.
0: Wow. And it, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and I'm just going to be, you know, honest. I I don't know if I was running a company and the, you know, point of my business is to make money. And let's just say I'm in the oil business. And let's just say I have a, a lot of pipelines that are bursting and leaking and causing all kinds of problems. I don't know if I would be too quick to self-report that I'm doing a bad job at, you know, maintaining my pipelines because it, it makes my company look bad. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it it sounds to me like self-reporting is, isn't the best way to, to handle that. It sounds like it should be some, I don't know, government agency there to make sure... <laughs> These pipelines are up to code and they're in, in good standing. Because if, if if they're they're bursting and leaking all all the time, then apparently that's not being done. I can't yeah. I can't think of any other you know, any other conclusion that they're not they're not reporting them. Yeah,
1: they're they're not reporting them. Uh, people are reporting them. The ones that are filled with like uh, gases oftentimes blow up, uh, killing the people that you know damage them. Uh, sometimes a lot of construction workers get hurt or even killed because of them. Um, before you can dig anywhere nowadays, you have to actually call up the um, the state to know exactly where a pipeline is, and you know accidents happen all the time. Uh, I see it everywhere I go. Sometimes they hit a water main. Sometimes they hit a gas pipe. But it, you know, when you hit gas or crude oil, you risk <laughs> a huge explosion. If you hit uh, water, you hit you risk a little flood. Right. if you hit gas or crude oil, you're gonna blow up. You know, they're not they're not exactly as safe as having a water pipe, right? And and speaking of water pipes, I mean we are so concerned about oil pipes. We have here in Michigan, uh, Flint, Michigan, a city that has uh, its own form of uh, of uh, environmental racism, some uh, argue, um, that is, they are pleading for some infrastructure, pleading for some pipes, and nobody's listening to them, Yeah, we are so keen on supporting oil pipelines
0: for some reason. All right, and I, I think, uh, and I, I don't want to, you know, put out the wrong information, but I think um, within the past week, Flint finally got money to from the government to um, redo their pipes. But basically, the people of Flint have had, no other way to put it, they've had toxic water coming out of their, their fountains, out of their faucets, for over a year now. And it, it took over a year for them to, to secure these funds to... The Fix the, the pipes that is bringing the water into uh, people's homes, and once again, the city of Flint is a predominantly black area. So, yeah. <laughs> once again, you need water to live. Just like the, the Native Americans are, are fighting in Standing Rock are fighting for, you know, to keep their water clean. The city of Flint, they're literally. <laughs> You turn on your your faucet. You can't drink. You can't shower. You can't use any of that water. And like, why is it that people don't understand that water is something that we need to live? It's is, one of the basic survival uh, things that we need: food and water. You can't you can't cook with it. You can't shower with it. You can't drink it. And this is the same thing that the people at Standing Rock are fighting for now. But they're just trying to make sure it doesn't is. They're trying to prevent it from happening. So, yeah. And you, how long did it take for the government to finally uh, step
1: in to uh, help the people of Flint after they were being poisoned? Um, if you're a resident of Flint and you can't get out of Flint, uh, you're stuck there, right? Right. And the same thing with the Native Americans. They're stuck on that reservation. Where? Where else are they going to go? They have nowhere else to go anymore so long for uh, the government to step in to help its own people in Flint. Do you think the Native American people think that they're going to care about them and their reservation, a glorified name for a prisoner of war camp? Uh, I don't don't, don't think so. That's why it's so desperate. That's why the Native Americans talk about it as as an issue of survival. This is about their
0: survival. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and uh, start winding this down a little bit but what's uh, what's going on as of well today is what December 7th as of December 7th as we're talking like what's the update on um, issues going on there at, at Standing Rock
1: Well so far um, there has there has been two different uh, sort of perspectives uh, actually. The tribe initially said, the tribal chairman, uh, David Archimbalt II, uh, asked all the non uh water supporters to leave the camp now that their uh, request for an easement uh, denial was granted. And uh, the government also asked the company to make an environmental impact statement. Now that these things have been achieved, the tribal chairman, Asked a lot of people to go home and celebrate winter with their uh, with their families, um, but the people in the actual camps are saying uh, that they're gonna stay. They're gonna stay until the black snake, as they call it, <laughs> is uh, is killed. Cool. And they don't wanna they don't wanna leave. So, so we're uh, just waiting. Uh, uh, so- we're waiting uh, to hear more from the camps. Uh, people right now are uh, trying to survive a blizzard and that's over there and they're trying to stay warm and safe uh, until we hear uh, from them they're going to stay there. The company, uh, Energy Transfer Partners, stated that uh, it's very unhappy with the government's decision to stop them and that it guarantees to their investors that they're going to continue. They're going to go under the river and they are going to have it finished by the deadline. So they're insisting that they're going to keep drilling in spite of the political decision to stop them. Wow. So that's going to be really interesting uh, when the power shifts hands from this administration to the next administration. Uh, it seems many more Republicans are inclined to support the uh, oil um the oil company's decision here, and then the president himself supports the. Uh, he had reiterated time and time again that he supports uh, DAPL, and that he has investments in it. But he claims that he doesn't support it because of his investments in it. He supports it because it's good for American business and America first, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And on his campaign trail, uh, President. Uh, President-elect Trump went to Bismarck and spoke at the Petroleum uh, uh, Convention and he said he was going to be there to support them. So we know where the president stands on these issues. So it's going to be an uphill battle, but the water protectors are not uh, going to give up. The blizzard is not going to stop them. Trump, President Trump,
0: uh, he won't stop them either. So, wait, 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 So Donald Trump has money invested in this pipeline? Yeah, he has
1: at least a million. Um, wow. Yeah, it's, it's official. I mean, he does. He said it himself. We've all known the, the, the people on his transition team stated that they disagree with uh, the current administration's um, stance. On this issue of denying the, the permit to construct and to drill uh, and uh, when they get into power they said they're gonna look at it again which in other words means that they're going to probably try to overturn it um, and probably allow them to drill again uh, the problem is the company um, the company has a deadline and that's january first to get this uh, project finished right. and have the oil pumping through or else the investors uh, have uh, the legal right to renegotiate and possibly pull out if they feel that the investment is unfavorable and a lot of investors have voiced their concern that they are unhappy with the company's uh um you know, the, the way the company is dealing with this, and in the fact that they actually ignored all these tribes and the sacred lands, and and a few banks have actually pulled out thanks to uh, the work of activists and uh, many of the water protectors, um, asking people to divest from the banks that are investing in this. And so there has been a lot of pressure on the company.
0: Wow, and. As I as I've uh, grown to know that you yourself were actually planning on going out there and, and joining in the pro- in the protest, um, you know, circumstances, you know, set it up that you, you weren't able to make it out there. But you have been active locally in raising awareness and um, involved in, in protest. You, you mind speaking about your, your own personal, um, you know, interest and, and activity in the protest?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I is heard about it like many people uh, not on mainstream media but through social media uh, through the Native American groups that I was already following. Uh, back in 2012 uh, was my first uh, involvement with Native people in their struggle to protect their lands and their environment. Uh, there were some um, protests and uh happening in Canada and the uh, Native American people here in uh, Michigan were holding a solidarity uh, round dances and uh, uh, I joined them at uh, two of their events one here in, in Dearborn and later on in Detroit and I realized that you know the Native Americans uh, have their own struggle have their own plight and that they're not invisible not in history books and not in museums And um, their struggle was real and it was not just a struggle for themselves. But for all of the, humanity and the whole entire world, now I'm not your traditional environmentalist myself, <laughs> and I'm not the one that is the most keen on jumping um, into all the whole animal rights discussion either. Right. I was more of a human rights advocate, you know. Uh, I I respect the environment and I respect animals, but my primary concern was all the people that were being oppressed in the world. Right. and the uh, Native. Americans uh, managed to show me the, the how activism is holistic. How all of it is connected to each other: animals, the environment, people, and all—all it all of it's destroyed. The same thing that hurts human pe- human beings is the one that hurts the environment, and the, the one that hurts the animals, and hurts everybody. So they were able to draw my attention to that and make me even a better activist. Um, and so fast forward to 2016, I hear about standing a rock through these activists. And uh, I start to get this sort of... Uh, uh, restlessness, you know, like I feel like I'm sitting at home and I, I have to do something, right. I'm waiting for some kind of action to take place here locally, and uh, one day my wife uh, sends me a text and tells me, hey, um, there's something going on in Northville, Northville, uh, uh, Michigan right. and you should go there, and I just jump out of uh, bed, get dressed, grab my uh, two-year-old I'm in uh, some warm clothes and rush out to Northville. I go to this corner of uh, Myers um, and uh, I think it's Haggerty. Uh, I think
0: it's A Mile of Haggerty.
1: A Mile of Haggerty. And oh. I see that there are two uh, young girls over there, uh, Kathy and uh, Francis and they're holding up signs and they're protesting. I they look around and I'm trying to see well, where are the Native organizers here? Where are the. Uh, <laughs> You know, where are the drums? Where's the sage burning? Where's all that <laughs> stuff? You know, all the chants and everything. I only see uh, two, uh, two young girls here uh, protesting. And I ask them, uh, are you the organizers? And they're like, yes. And then they tell me that, you know, they too were two concerned citizens. And they felt that they had to do something to exercise their right in this country to express themselves. And they went out there and they started expressing themselves. And on that day, We were only uh, eight people. I held on to my son for like three hours, and uh, we just sat there trying to educate and enlighten people about the situation. And um, I was just so inspired by those two. You know, they felt like there was something that had to be done, and you know, they went out there and exercised their rights. And so I told them, you know, next week you guys should do it again. They're like, yeah, we kind of do it again. And next Sunday. Uh, We spread the word out and we had 50 people. Wow. 50 people and it was uh, so diverse it was white people it was black people it was native american people we had uh, indigenous people from different tribes come and they brought their flags you know wow. uh, and you know it was just a beautiful and then we built this uh community this uh now all of these people are my friends and uh it's so diverse and uh, we even had representatives from black lives matter suddenly uh join us and they asked us about what's going on on over here. Uh, we had people who were, it was in the midst of the election, we had uh, Hillary supporters, we had Green Party people, we even had people from the camp as well. And um, it was just beautiful to see all these people around such a beautiful cause. And uh, that, that's basically how we got launched from there. And since then, we've gone to Lansing, and um, um, multiple times now, I was just there uh, yesterday, or the day before yesterday, and um, it's just beautiful. Beautiful. It's just growing, and it's highlighted uh, so many issues that we didn't know were going going on now. Where we formed alliances to deal with the environmental issues that are happening here in Michigan. There is a pipeline uh, at the Mackinac Straits that's fifty years old. Uh, called Line Five, that uh, people want to uh, take care of. There's Nestle, uh, a company that's taking water out of the Great Lakes almost for free and reselling it back to us. Uh, there's a uh, there's a pipeline going through Wayne County where I live right now that's uh, gonna be built. So there's uh, there's a lot of lot of issues that are happening, and um, it was all thanks to Standing Rock that they woke us up this uh, this reality all the stuff that was happening under our noses and um, now this is the beginning I think it's something new and you know we we, we have this small victory Sorry. but it won't be a victory if we let it slip out of our hands we have to preserve our level of victory because uh, the company is not going to give up and has been uh what, for a long time in our country, so if we if we're going to speak out, it's going to be a very unpopular. And uh, we'll see where it goes from here.
0: Wow, and um, I'm <laughs> well to pull the curtain back a little bit. The original time that we sat down and recorded, we actually uh, recorded at Francis's house, who uh, you were speaking <laughs> of as one the person that um, organized those that, that first and then in the second protest. Um, I'm planning on speaking to her later on today To, to re-record I will, Hopefully we'll be able to get that done But um, As far as uh, Yourself and Francis and I Well first Have you guys come up with a name for your organization Or these protests Or are you guys just protesters You guys thought of like a name yet for yourselves um, That
1: specific group uh, No not really We haven't um, locally here in Dearborn, I was working with my community. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, over here, I just made a Facebook page called the Indigenous Rights Alliance. Okay. Uh, basically, trying to mobilize this local area over here. But the uh, original group, um, we don't necessarily have a name for it. It's just a bunch of concerned friends, really, uh, working together to try to bring all the people that we know into the fold, sort of bring them and um, raise awareness and bring them into the cause. But we don't have any specific name, no.
0: Are there any uh, protest or events that you guys have planned for the future that people might need to know about if they want to come out and support and, and get involved?
1: Well, um, right now the situation is uh, after after the announcement that the email was denied, uh, there was just a little celebration, and as of any real event that has taken place, there are still a few more events where... Um, happening around Michigan, but they're not really in the metro Detroit area, you know, some of them are in Grand Rapids and some of them are a little further away, uh, but as of yet, there, there's nothing in particular, okay. uh, but there will be events coming up, um, okay. pending, pending news, uh, tonight I'm going to be speaking with the people from um, in North Dakota and to find out. What they um, are going to what need from us. Uh, in the meantime, what they're asking from people is to keep the pressure on the company by divesting from the banks. There's a list of 15 to 17 banks. You can find these uh, things on uh, sacredstonecamp.org. Uh, if you are banking with these banks, they'll tell you to pull your funds out, send them a letter telling them why you did that, and then take your money and put a local bank over here that doesn't have its hand in big oil or, or any of these corrupt practices. Okay. So that's what they want you to do right now, Keep pressure on the companies, and uh, we're going to hear from the camp
0: soon to know what the indigenous people would like from us to do. Uh, well, go ahead and uh, throw that website out there one more time and uh, exactly what it is they want you to do. Just, just one more time. All right, so
1: uh, there are many websites that you can visit, but probably one of the best ones to, uh, that is authentic to visit is sacredstonecamp.org. Okay. And over there... You can find out what you can do to help in the global solidarity movement uh, against the Dakota Access Pipeline. And uh, one of the things that you can do right now is maintain the pressure on the company by divesting your funds away from the banks Out of the banks that have investments in this company, primarily Wells Fargo. If you bank with Wells Fargo, you really ought to uh, pull your money out. Send them a letter telling them I'm pulling my money out because of your involvement in this in this uh, specific project. Take your money and uh, put it in a local community bank that doesn't have its hands involved in big oil. And um, that way you put pressure on the company. Uh, and it seems to be working. A lot of banks have, uh, uh, one or two banks have actually started to think about this uh, issue. One of them, uh, a Norwegian bank, has actually pulled some of its money out of the project. Wow. And what Wells Fargo itself said it, it's willing to meet with a tribe now because of all the activism, you know? So,
0: Wow. Yeah, it's working. I, I, I think I told you this last time we recorded. I have a a life philosophy that was uh, given to me by a couple of poets by the name of the Wu Tang Clan. It's a uh, cash rules everything around me. Cream. So if you ever want to, if you ever want to figure out why something is happening, find the money. And if you ever want to hurt something, hurt them in, in the <laughs> pockets. That's that's how how it's done. So, uh, is there any other? Um, any other websites or groups that you're you're promoting that I can uh, find out information locally or or nationally or anything else that you want to want to throw out there for the people? Absolutely.
1: If you want to know more about a lot of these issues that are affecting the indigenous people and affecting us locally here, I would suggest um, if you're on Facebook to uh, join um, Idol No More, Michigan. Um, I don't know more, Michigan is a native uh, group here that uh, usually has a lot of action pertaining to these topics. Also, there's the Flint Water Scandal group. Uh, that's a really, really good group to find out a lot about, more about these issues. Um, and of course, uh, if you want to know more about Standing Rock, the Standing Rock Sioux on uh, a tribe um, has a page as well on Facebook. Um, also... You could follow the Indigenous Rising Media, also on Facebook, uh, and Digital Smoke Signals, Uh, another independent Indigenous media that's on the ground over there. Those guys are awesome. They operate drones and give you the most beautiful aerial footage. Um, Really cool guys. Really should uh, follow them. Um, There are just so many activists out there. But, you know, your number one source should always be the indigenous people because really it is their movement and we really ought to know their message, uh, which is a peaceful message. And uh, if we're going to help, we really should like let them take the lead and, and, uh, and let's just embrace their, their vision so we don't like contaminate it, I guess, with our perspective. Maybe some of us might be a little bit more revolutionary than they are <laughs> there. Right. They're, bit, they're peaceful, they're
0: peaceful people, and, you know, they want to make sure that the message stays peaceful. Okay. Um, as far well, you don't have to if you don't want to, but do you want to throw your social media out there? Yeah, sure.
1: Um, well, of course, my name is, uh, Muhammad Sherry, um, you can always follow, uh, what I'm doing, or you can follow the group that I, I made, uh, Indigenous Rights Alliance, it's a Facebook page, uh, I update my personal page a little bit more but I will be updating
0: uh, that page. Okay. From now on. So and you that can follow that. He said that's Indigenous Rights Alliance. Indigenous Rights Alliance, oh. yeah. Okay. So yeah, if you go on Facebook and, and type in Indigenous Rights Alliance, you should be able to find that that group. And uh well we went a little longer than I was expecting, Mo but uh <laughs> Yeah, it tends to happen with, uh, with with good conversations. So I, I appreciate you uh, jumping on the, on the phone with me um, <laughs> here early in the morning. Um, real, real quick, was there anything else that we didn't cover that that you wanted to throw out there before we uh, go ahead and close this out? I think, uh, I think
1: all I want to say is just uh, thanks to all the water protectors out there and to all the people that are listening. Thank you for listening. And uh, go ahead and... Check these things out, and find out how you can help. Um, and you know, the least thing the least you can do is you know, hate it in your heart, and uh, to follow along and spread the message on social media. That's the least we can do. Try to break through the silence, kind of like how uh, you're doing right now, uh, Devin. And uh, you know, it's it's warriors like that, like you, uh, who are spreading this message that keeps this movement alive. Um, I just want to thank everybody
0: out there who, who's healthy. Well, uh, like I said once again, thank you for for coming on the show and and you know it, it, even not even for coming on the show. Just thank you for for your 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 activism and your concern for for people and and you know just common decency, man. It's, it's not enough. Uh, <laughs> we we don't have enough. Just you know. Common decency in this world. So it's good. To, I'm, I'm glad that I met you, man. You're a really good, good guy, man. And uh, like I said, I, I commend you on your efforts, and I appreciate having met you. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely stay in touch, man. I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm glad well, that I, glad that I met you. Thank
1: you. Likewise, likewise.
0: we definitely. I look forward to future conversations and to be on your show again. All right. Thank you, Muhammad Sherry, for sharing all that great information uh, and a great conversation with Muhammad. Like I said, he's a very passionate young man and uh, very concerned about human rights and uh, indigenous people's rights and just, you know, the country in general and in our world. So thank him for coming on the show once again, twice. <laughs> like I said uh, before, maybe in the future, I'll go ahead and, and release that um That original conversation that me, Muhammad, and Francis had. And speaking of Francis, make sure you stay tuned to the next episode, which is a continuation of this conversation. How Francis is the young lady that organized the protest that Muhammad was a part of. So, once again, stay tuned for that episode, which is going to be coming up early next week. And, like I said before in the intro, follow Muhammad... On Facebook, his name is Mohammed Sherry. That's M O H A M M A D Sherry C H E R R I, and make sure you and make sure you follow his Facebook page, which is Indigenous Rights Alliance. So when you go on Facebook, type in your search bar Indigenous Rights Alliance. And uh, you'll see the group that he has updating you with all kinds of information about what's going on with the Dakota Access Pipeline. And like I said, on next week's episode, I'm going to be talking to Frances. Uh, She is Frances Diane on Facebook. You follow her. And... Once again, make sure you go check out our Christmas concert. Do you hear what I hear? Which is going to be December sixteenth and December seventeenth at the Caustic Center in Farmington Hills, Michigan, on Eleven Mile, just east of Middlebelt. Like I said, tickets are just fifteen dollars. So, like I said if you want to hear some good Christmas music. Get yourself in the Christmas spirit. Make sure you go check out that show, Francis. Like I said, Francis is a very, very talented young lady, very, very good singer. So, bring your auntie, your uncle, your cousins. Your, uh, <laughs> your mama and them <laughs> bring them out to the to Farmington for the Christmas concert. We're going to go ahead and wrap up this show. Make, once again, make sure you follow my Facebook page, the All Stake No Sizzle Podcast. Make sure you follow me on social medias. <laughs> yes, I put the S on medias. That's uh Twitter and Instagram. That's Devin the 63. That's D-E-V-I-N-T-H-E-63. Six on both of those you can also email the show at asnspodcast at gmail.com make sure you like follow subscribe share repost this episode and all the other episodes and let me hear your comments what do you have to say about what's going on with the Dakota Access Pipeline and the people of Standing Rock share let's hear your opinions share share with everybody make sure you share on uh, this page on the SoundCloud page, or like I said, on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, to spread the word. Let's have the conversation. We can't we can't move forward as a country until we start having these conversations, people. So, with all that being said, you all have a great weekend, and make sure you stay tuned to next week's episode where we f- continue this conversation. Much love, to everybody out there. I really appreciate y'all for listening to the show. And with that being said, y'all have a great weekend. Peace.